Let's open our Bibles to the book of Nahum. N-A-H-U-M. Nahum. We studied Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and now we're to Nahum. We're studying all the old prophets of the Old Testament. And this is a very short little book three of uh, three chapters and it's all about Nineveh and God's uh, purpose in dealing with Nineveh uh, the capital of Assyria the Assyrian oppressor and in chapter 1 you have the superscription in verse 1 if you want a division of the first chapter and then verses 2 through 6 you have Jehovah's majesty in judgment Jehovah's majesty in judgment and then uh, verses 7 through 13, you have his people comforted and assured. And then verse 14 and 15, the judgment of Assyria and the result. I'll repeat that again. Chapter 1 now, we have the superscription in verse 1. We might say introduction or whatever you want to call it. And then uh, verses 2 through 6. Chapter 1, verse 1, I said the superscription. I hope I got that right by repeating it. Maybe I didn't. And then verses 2 through 6, Jehovah's majesty in judgment. 7 through 13, His people comforted and assured. And then verse 14 and 15, the judgment of Assyria and the result. Now then, let's read verse 1 and we'll come back and talk a little bit about it. And then read verses 2 through 6 and progress on down the line. First of all, before we read verse 1, let me just mention that Nahum means consolation. The meaning of his name is consolation. And he was born in Galilee, actually, and later moved down south to Judea. Galilee was in the northern part of, the, of Israel and Judea in the southern part. And they say that Capernaum, see, Nahum, Capernaum, Capernaum, uh, possibly may have been named uh, after him, after Nahum. And let's read verse 1. It says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. Uh, actually, in verse 1, we said it's a superscription. The burden of Nineveh means that it will follow a weighty prophetic uh Oracle or announcement of what God is going to do to Nineveh concerning this great world city of Nineveh. And you remember the dimensions of it is given by Jonah. We gave you that when we were studying the book of Jonah. It was about 60 miles in circumference, 20 miles in diameter. Much larger than the city of Babylon, as large as Babylon was. It was much larger, larger and it had more than 120,000 people. Now listen, that could not tell the right hand from the left. That means they must have been infants or at least not to a very large age to where they could understand that particular distinction. And uh, so that would make the mature uh, people estimated at about a million residents at that time. Pretty large city, wasn't it? Nineveh. And so we find that uh, it's such a great city. And Jonah, remember, preached to Nineveh. 
And uh, they, they all repented. And when they repented, God spared the judgment that was about to come. And that was a wicked city, even in Jonah's day. And then He spared that city for about 150 years and until Nahum's prophecy of their destruction came about. So evidently, they didn't learn from the first time of repentance. Evidently, they went back into their sins and, and God finally had to bring the judgment that Jonah predicted even in his day. And Nahum predicts their judgment. And so about 150 years later, uh, it was destroyed completely. And that's what Nahum is all about. It's about the Assyrian Empire. And uh, Assyria, uh, Nineveh was the, the uh, a chief city, a large city, as well as the capital of Assyria. And so get, with that much background... Uh, we'll continue with our studies here. And Nahum predicted the soon destruction and fall of the whole empire as well as the destruction of the city, which was uh, representative of, of the empire. <coughs> we said that Jonah gave you the dimensions of it. And we find that uh, we've already somewhat described what size that city really is. Now, or was. Let's look at verses 2 through 6 and we'll come back and talk about this. And we said that verses 2 through 6 show us majesty, Jehovah's majesty in judgment. And if, by the way, when we read it, you'll find it's a sublime description of God and of judgment that He will bring because God is a jealous God. And the jealousy of God has its source in His love for His elect. He loves, you know, if, if husband loves wife, he's jealous of his wife and vice versa. And those we love dearly, we're jealous of those people. Uh, remember, Paul said to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He was very concerned and he loved that church. And, you know, I believe every pastor should be jealous of his congregation in a sense. I'm not talking about a, an evil sense of the word, but a loving, caring, uh, uh, compassionate sense of the word as God is jealous over His people. And we know Israel of old was the ones that were chosen, earthly people, but now God is jealous over all of us, all who belong to His family and His kingdom. And so when we read these verses, we're going to find out something about the majesty of God. Uh, he had already said, and before we read them, he had already said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the reason uh, that he says, Thou shalt not worship, thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord his, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And he is jealous over his people, lest they serve other gods. God does not want us to serve other gods. And he has that kind of a jealousy over us, as well as the context of Israel of old when we're talking about here in the book of Nahum. Now notice verse 2 through 6. We'll read it and come... Well, we may comment on it as we go along, but we certainly will... If we don't, we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. But it says in verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord revenges. Because God is love and because God is jealous, God revengeth. That means He will not put up with sin and He will judge iniquity. He's merciful to those who do right. And He's merciful to His own. And He loves His own. 
with an everlasting love, and yet he's jealous over his own, but he's he is a God that will uh, revenge or judge or punish. You see, God doesn't put up with idolatry. God had His uh, children of old when they would fall into idolatry to destroy the ones that would lead them into idolatry. I'm not going to get off onto it, but there are certain times that war is justified. So don't ever think that it is not. And I'm not going to preach on war tonight, but I'll show you, I can show you in the Bible where God told the children of Israel, two and a half tribes, He says, when they were to go into Canaan's land, these two and a half tribes have had an inheritance on one side of Jordan, and they said, there's good pasture land here, and everything's okay. We don't want to go over there across Jordan and fight with all the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, Amorites and the Gergesites and the Moabites and all the Ites. And he said, we don't want to go over there and fight. We want to stay over here and live in peace. And God, through Moses, told them, He says, you go over. why are you discouraging the heart of your brother? Because they're going to have to go over and fight for the land in order for you to live at peace. Why sit you still here at ease? And he says, unless you go over and fight with them, you can come back and have this good pasture land. But if, unless you go over and fight with them and help them possess their possessions, then be sure your sin will find you out. You know what that be sure your sin will find you out? Was the sin of neglect. The sin of not doing what you know is right to do. See, it wasn't that they were, it wasn't that their sin was that they had done a lot of moral uh, wrongs. Their sin was that they had not done morally what was right. And you know, people say, well, I'm just going to sit back and sit on the fence. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. You know what you're doing? That's the sin of neglect. That's the sin of indecision. That's the sin of not knowing what you ought to do when you know there's a great responsibility that rests upon you to do it. The same thing applies in the church. When we know that we ought to visit, when we know we ought to witness, when we know we ought to do God's work, and we say, well, I'm going to let someone else do that. That's not my responsibility. It's all of us. It's all of our responsibilities. And beloved, it's all of our responsibility to stand by in time of crisis, our president and our nation, and, uh, and understand that threats of danger uh, are, are, are real, and that if you don't face up to them sooner or later, they'll come back to haunt you. One has said of old, it was pretty wise, he said, to let evil triumph, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. And then it will. Then it will. Alright, let's look at this. Nahum, chapter 1. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Escalite. The Elkoshite, I should say. Uh, God is jealous and the Lord revenges. The Lord revenges and is furious. You know, some people look at God and they think, God is, is just a softy, you know. But it says the Lord is furious. He's furious with idolatry. He's furious with iniquity. He's furious with sin. And God revengeth. See, God is a God of love, but He's a God of judgment as well. You know, if you, if you say, well, let, let's look at a, a parent in the home and try to get the comparison here. Let's say, well, here's a parent 
And they're just so full of love that when their children do wrong, when they uh, do bad things, they just let them go because they're loving fathers and loving mothers. Do you think that's a loving father and a loving mother that will let his kid just slide and slide and slide on into evil and into wickedness and go further and further and get into sin, get into drugs, get into alcohol, get into immorality and impurities? Let a daughter get out on the streets and prostitute herself? Let a son go uh, rob uh, stores and, and get thrown in prison? Is that a good father and mother? I think not. I don't know how far we're getting this lesson, but I, I guess we're just... Because something I was reminded of, I saw a little program, the Andy Griffith Show. Most of you like Andy Griffith. And some of you may have seen this one. If you haven't, I hope you do see it. Where this little old boy comes to town and he has his bicycle. Did you see that one? And man, he runs down through the street and runs over the lady with her grocery bag. And there was no riding on the sidewalks. The law said they couldn't ride their bikes on the sidewalks. And he knocked two or three ladies down with their shopping bags. And, and then he got in with uh, little old uh, uh, Opie and was telling him all he could get by with, you know. And he says, uh, he's telling him how to get a new bike and his dad would buy it. And he says, do you, Opie's working for 25 cents, I think, to clean out the garage and do his chores, you know, and take out the ashes and, and do his chores. And that was his allowance. This little old kid says, you're not supposed to work for your allowance. That's what, that's what you are as being a kid. They're, you're supposed, they're supposed to give you that. And besides, that's not very much. And boy, he got on Opie's case, and Opie went to Andy, and he told him all the things that, you know, he says, you know, I, I want to talk to you. And he talked to him about it, and he talked to him about his allowance. And he says, well, don't you feel good after you've uh, earned that money? Well, so on and so forth. Anyway, it came down to a lot of things, and Opie tried to get... Andy to give him all this money for free, you know, and he wanted more, six bits or a dollar or something. He's only getting a quarter for working. He wanted more without working any. So anyway, to make a long story short, this kid, uh, finally they told him to quit riding his bicycle on the street, on the, the sidewalk, and uh, they confiscated his bicycle and got him down there. And he says, my dad's going to come down here and he's going to get get you this sheriff and so on. And he was very... Uh, not very uh, respectful, as Brother Nichols read a minute ago, saying, sir, to, to those in authority and in places of responsibility. Anyway, it ended up where this uh, dad came down to jail and was telling Andy he wanted this bicycle back, and he better give it back to him. And this little old boy said, I told you my dad would want this bicycle back and uh, give it back to him and so on. Finally, the old man got the message, and he said, I think I'll just go sell says, I want it back, sure, but I'm going to go sell it. Oh, that little boy throwed a tantrum, you know. And, uh, and he says, you know what? says, there's a woodshed right out there, an old-fashioned woodshed. The old man waked up, and he says, is there? He says, we're going out there. We'll see you later. Anyway, you, uh, you get the message, and I, I'd love to tell you the whole story, but it was really good. And Opie didn't complain about his work anymore. But the thing about it is, uh, you know, God is a God that does correct us. And He loves us in doing so. It says, whom the Lord, in 13 of Hebrews, it says, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. 
and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And it's a duty and responsibility of parents to correct their children. And it's God's duty, and he, he does a better job of it than we do, in correcting us when we do wrong. And so that's why it says, the Lord, look at this. It says, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will, will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Don't ever let people think they're going to get by with what they're doing because God doesn't have to be in any hurry to judge. And He will do it in due time. And then it says, The Lord is slow to anger. Look. He knows how to control it. Uh, And great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. He will not just acquit the wicked and let them get by with it. The Lord hath His way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of His feet. Think of that for a moment. Man is on the dust, and we walk upon this dusty earth, and we're going back to what? The dust from which we came. But God says He has His way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. God is great in power. And it's showing you the majesty of God here in judgment. It says uh, in uh, verse... For he rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. He did that for Israel, didn't he? He rebuked the sea in Moses' day, and he made it dry. And the children of Israel went over uh, the Red Sea in, on dry ground, across the sea, on dry ground. And the Egyptians the saying to do were drowned. Someone says, well, you know, they claimed there wasn't but a foot or two foot of water. They said that uh, you know, there's no miracle in what God did there. There's a very small amount of water on, in the Red Sea. And someone says, well, there's a greater miracle for God to drown all those horses and chariots in a foot of water. <laughs> if that's what took place. But I believe there's more in a foot of water. So anyway, uh, it says, He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. Now you remember, Jesus had His way with a with the winds and the storms. It says the winds and the waves were subject unto Him. The winds and the waves. He said, peace be still. And there was a great calm. He rebuked the winds and the sea. You know, God gets to the root of the matter. Some people would be rebuking the sea. These waves are about to cover us. But Jesus knew what was the cause. He got to the cause. The cause of the sea being rough was the wind. See, you and I go at things backwards, don't we? We say, oh, I, don't, I want this sea to be smooth. Well, do something about the cause of it. Jesus went to the cause. He goes to the cause of everything. So does God. And you and I do not understand that, you, uh, that when things come up, we need to get to the root of the matter and not just try to uh, smooth it over on the top side. We need to get what's causing the problem. You got a big leak in your house and the water's running and flooding your carpets. What do you do? Grab a mop the first thing and start mopping water. Well, that's not going to do very much good till they cut the water off, is it? So go out and cut the water off, fix the leak, then start cleaning up the mess. So you, you, we, we sometimes we just approach things in the wrong way, and. Uh, we need to learn from God. He, he's all wise and He tells us. He says, He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. These very fruitful 
a wonderful places languish. Verse 5, The mountains quake at Him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at His presence. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before His indignation? Who shall be able to stand? We read over there, and I believe it's the sixth chapter of Revelation, the last two or three verses you can look if you want to. And it's, it says that, uh, that Christ is coming in judgment. It tells us about uh, the men hiding themselves in the caves and the mountains. And so on and said, deliver us, save us from the wrath of the Lamb, the face of Him that sits on the throne and some of those things. And it says, For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Who can stand before His indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of His anger? Do you know some people do not realize that Jesus got angry? The Bible tells us when He went into that temple, He was angry. And it says He took a scourge. And he was angry at these money changers and those that bought and sold doves in the house of God. And he turned their tables over. He took a whip and chased them out the door. And he said to them, My father's house is to be called a house of prayer. And you have made it a den of thieves. Those that bought and sold doves, the doves were for the poor to have something to offer that couldn't afford a lamb or anything of a, of a monetary value of sacrifice. He says, you've robbed the poor of their ability to, uh, to worship. And that was prescribed worship was sac- by sacrifice in the Old Testament. And he says, you're buying and selling. They sold the turtle doves. And he had them chased, he chased them out. And he was angry. And he was filled with indignation against the evil that was there. And he cleansed the temple. We call it the cleansing of the temple. And by the way, he did it twice too. There was one time and he found it another time necessary to go in and change things that were going on. So get it right. And Jesus would do that. Uh, Look at this. Uh, who can stand before his indignation and who, who can abide the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like a fire, like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. You know, the rocks are thrown down when the, the great earthquakes come. God is not only has control of the winds and the waves on the sea and the clouds of the dust of his feet, the whirlwind and the storm. We think of a, when we think of the whirlwind, we think of a little uh, wind out here in the the flats that stir up the dust, but when we think of a of a tornado, we think of a, a a great whirlwind, don't we? A funnel and the tornadoes that come. And all of you are familiar uh, with things that happen when there's a tornado that comes in a part of the country. It sweeps everything that's before it. So it says here, uh, and the rocks are thrown down by him. That would indicate uh, earthquakes, wouldn't it? Or in whatever way God pleases to disrupt nature to bring it about. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knoweth them that trust in Him. You see, in spite of the fact that God is a God of judgment. 
And Nahum is predicting that this judgment that God is a jealous God will bring about will be upon Nineveh. Remember verse 1? Look at the very first part. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. So he says in verse 1, this is a burden concerning Nineveh and what God will do and His power and judgment. Now look at verse 7 again. It turns around and shows you the other side. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. Those that trust in Him need not be afraid because they're sealed. They belong to the Lord. Second Timothy, I believe it's chapter 2 and verse 19. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. The Bible says, listen carefully. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Listen. The Lord knoweth them that are His. So some are sealed. And just like it says here, He knoweth them that trust in Him. He knoweth them that are His. And then the last part of that verse, you know it has a negative side too. That's the positive side. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Some people like to stop there. But it says, And let everyone, everyone that nameth the name of Christ, that professes to be a Christian, depart from what? Iniquity. Depart from iniquity. You see, just because God knows us and we're sealed unto the day of redemption and says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we're sealed unto the day of redemption, does not mean that we're not responsible in, in, as a result of that. See, everything has its uh, responsibilities. If you have the privilege of being called a child of God, then you all also have the responsibility of living a Christian life and serving God. See, you're not off the hook just because you've got a a free pass to heaven. And you do. It's all by grace. You're saved by grace. But you're also saved to serve. We're all to serve God. And it's our responsibility to do it. It's our responsibility to clean up our lives. I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, probably in verse 1, that tells us, Having therefore, dearly beloved, these promises. Listen. Let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit. By the way, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's our own Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't need any cleansing, right? Cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit. And it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look it up. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, I believe. So, if we, that shows that we're responsible. Having these promises, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves. You say, well, I thought God's the only one that can make me clean. He is. He's the only one that can purify us. But we have a responsibility to clean up our lives by the grace of God. We'll have His help in doing it. It doesn't mean you can do it without God. But you still have the power to do it because He's told you that you have the power and you also have the responsibility. Someone said, well, I just can't live a a good Christian life. Ask God to help you. And He'll help you. None of us are going to be sinlessly perfect. But we can certainly, most of us, be better than we are, can't we? We've still got grounds and room for improvement. I mean, I look every day at my shortcomings. 
And if we ever get to the place that we don't think we have them, we need to look again. So, uh, the thing about it is, God expects us. But look at verse 7. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. We're to call upon Him in the day of trouble, and He will answer us. The Bible tells us, call upon me in the day of trouble. You read it in the Psalms. It says, uh, and He knoweth him that trust in Him. And the Bible says, trust in the Lord with what? All thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. It says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So when we trust God and turn it over to God, He'll work it out for His glory and for our good. And I'm thankful He does. And I know brethren and sisters in the church that had things come up in their lives and changes, like Hawks and Ron and Sharon and various ones. And Beola and Melvin have to move away, and Curtis and Melcina and different ones. We can call the role of people whose lives have been disrupted, and they have to go to different places for different things, for different purposes. But when they trust in God, it will work out for their good and the glory of God. And I'm convinced of that. I know that the Bible is true, and so all we have to do is rest upon His Word, isn't it? Take Him at His Word. And He will certainly take care of us. Alright, let's look at verse uh, 7 again. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. But with an overrunning flood, He will make an utter end of the place thereof, and the darkness shall uh, pursue His enemies. And He's talking about an uh, overrunning flood. And he's talking about the destruction of the Assyrian Empire as well as Nineveh. That's the burden of of Nehemiah. I mean, of Nahum here. The burden of Nineveh, chapter one, verse one. The burden of Nahum, I should say. Uh, and he says in verse nine, "What do ye imagine against the Lord?" Question. He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up a second time. He's going to do a thorough job the first time. It says, For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble, fully dry. When God's judgment came upon them, or would come upon them, they would be like, they would be drunken as drunkards. And they wouldn't know what's going on. They wouldn't know that part of how they're living would be the cause of their destruction. There is one... Come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor, their leader. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee and will burst thy bonds in sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee that no more... Of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. God will destroy all idolatry. You know, back in the first part of the Ten Commandments, He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. All idolatry will be destroyed. Men make idols of a lot of things. And you know, in the New Testament, Paul says, covetousness is idolatry. 
Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life, listen, consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And Paul said, We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we're not going to take anything away. So, it doesn't mean that if you have security, you're to go and throw it to the, to the wind. But it does mean that you're not to always be desiring to just be rich and rich and rich and rich and not give it out and not help anyone else with what you have. We're put upon this earth to be a blessing to others, not to be selfish toward ourselves. And that's why uh, the context of the Scripture that I just quoted in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. He's talking about the rich farmer. Remember, he's speaking to them a parable. He says there's a certain farmer that, that had a great crop of uh, wheat out in the field, or he had a great crop. And he says, I will tear down my barns and I'll build greater barns because I don't have anywhere to put my, bestow my goods, to store my uh, crop. And he says, I will, I will, I will. And I will say, Unto myself. Look how many times he used the word a personal pronoun. I will say unto myself, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But it says, But God said unto him, Thou fool. Why was he a fool? For having a good crop? For being a good farmer? No. For being covetous. For thinking everything for himself. He says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be desired of thee. And he says, Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Good question you might ask everyone. What you have today, who do you think is going to get it? Say, Well, my firstborn son, or my all of my children, it be divided. Well, they may and they may not, and it may be a blessing to them, and it may be a curse. I don't know how it'll turn out. But I'm not. Go- I'm going to depend upon God to take care of that situation, and God will bless His own children with the material things. But we want to be careful that we don't take it all for granted. And remember this: that there's nothing in this life that is sure. I remember when my wife was taking uh, the uh, uh, radiation treatments down in Las Cruces. Her good doctor said. You know, I've learned one thing. I was talking to him. He let me talk pretty personal to him time and time again. And he said, there's one thing I've learned, that there's no security in this life. He learned a lot more than most of us, didn't he? Security is with God. If God blesses you, and if God takes care of you, you'll be safe and secure. But if you try to go it on your own, you're looking for a downfall. And so, let's learn to trust in God. That's what it's all about. Let's read this and we'll, we'll close. Uh, verse 14, And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold upon the mountain, mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace. Peace, O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. So when it says, Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace. He's saying, Look for the, the man that's running with the good news. 
Isaiah speaks of the same thing. And look, I'll close with uh, the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let me read a verse or two here. Romans 10, verse uh, 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, now look, what we just said. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the good, the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Isaiah said this and so did Nahum. He, they both referred to it. And he's talking about the messenger that runs in with the good news. So they ran in with good news of the deliverance of Israel uh, from the Assyrian and the destruction of their enemy, the Assyrian, and the destruction of Nineveh. And these that brought good tidings to Judah were those that uh, brought the news of that, that fall of that wicked uh, country and people at that time. And here in the book of Romans, Paul quotes the same passage of Scripture and says that those that preach the gospel of peace, they bring good news. They bring the good news of the gospel. What is the good news of the gospel? That Christ died for our sins. Our sins were paid for in full. They cried, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses. And then he says, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen. And after his resurrection, he was seen. And it goes on to tell of all the appearances of Christ. So, what's the good news for you and I today? And what's the beautiful feet of them that preach the good tidings? It's the feet of those that bring the good news of the gospel to a sinful world and to wherever God has sent each and every one of us to proclaim the good news, our missionaries that we send, and you folks who go out and tell folks around about you and wherever you go or visit or see people, you, you shoulder your responsibility in giving your witness that you're a Christian and you believe what God's Word has said, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that there is a place of safety, there is a place of security, there is a place of salvation, first of all, for all who call upon the name of the Lord. For it is written, whosoever shall call